Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, amen. Here we are, everybody. Oh, there was a loud clap. Apologies. Welcome to church. Welcome to the preaching portion of our online campus today. And it's great to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Levi. My wife and I, we are the lead pastors of the church. We co-pastor together. And it is a great honor today to be continuing our series with you called We Are Local. And we're going through really the church's key values in this series. Because I think I wrote here in my notes, like if you're looking for a church if you're, or if you're trying to find a way that reinforces your belonging in that church, I think there's just, for me anyway, there'll be a few questions that I would ask. I would ask myself, uh, do I like the pastors? Do I like the leaders? Do I want to be like them? Could I see myself hanging out with them? Are they good people? I think that's a good question. I think another question is, can I make friends here? I think that's a really great question that you should be asking. Another question is, what do they believe? What's their statement of faith? What's their doctrine? Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Christ-centered church. You know, do they believe in that God is the Father, the Trinity? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God? You know, these, these key questions, and you know, I don't want to get too deep too quick. And then I think lastly, I think I would be asking, what are their values? What are the, what's the embodiment of their culture? And we won't be answering the question today, whether you like the pastors. We won't be answering the question today, can you make friends at this church? We won't be answering the question today, what do we believe doctrinally in our statement of faith necessarily, although we will be reading a lot of Bible scriptures. But I hope today that we can answer one of the questions around what we value. And through this series, we're going through our core values around worship, serving in the church, the local church itself, the ministry of the table, uh, having people in your home. We're going through our core values as a church, relationships and serving the community. But today I want to talk to you on the topic of Give Local. And really, I guess my goal today is to unpackage a topic that I love. Um, that I've loved for a couple of decades since I first started this practice, this biblical exhortation, and that is the biblical practice of tithing. And so if you have a Bible, there's going to be some scriptures that will come up on your screen and then also um, a bunch of different points and, I guess, key phrases throughout the, the next sort of 30 minutes or so. But if you have a Bible, before I pray, turn with me in the book of Leviticus 2730, so that's going to be right at the start of the Old Testament. Then you can go like halfway through your Bible, Proverbs 3.9, and then just after that in the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23. And Leviticus 27 and 30 says this, a tenth of the produce of the land, again, uh, context, Leviticus, God speaking through a, a key scripture that's setting up parameters in what we might term as the law for his people in this kind of theocratic society where they're representing God, Yahweh, to the world. And he's speaking and says, a tenth of the produce of the land with a grain or fruit is the Lord's, and it is holy. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And Matthew 23.23 23, on your screen, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe, even on the smallest, the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice mercy and faith you should tithe yes but do not neglect the more important things and on that note father we pray that you would speak today speak to us impact our lives 
Give us what we need to sustain us the daily bread. Speak to us by revelation in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I hope today that we can get through a simple definition of tithing, that we can get through the first tithe, the first time we see that, the, the principle of first, uh, the, the concept of first principles, or the first, the first mention in the Bible of tithing. Then we're going to talk about tithing in the law in the Old Testament and then tithing in the New Testament. So that's what we're going to aim to get through today. And you'll notice that I'm not standing in my usual, I guess, uh, you know, animated, passionate self. I decided today, today that we would just sit and we would go on a journey together through the Bible. So there's going to probably be less to so those funny stories, anecdotes, testimonies, and a little bit more um, just plain old, old-fashioned, orthodox Bible teachings. I hope you're okay with that. Um, for us, this concept of God speaking to us and revealing himself through the scriptures is um, really, really valuable, super important for us as Christians. And we must look at our lives through the lens of what the scriptures say. So we go back to the Bible, we get context for who wrote it, who was it written to, what was the context of the time, and for our benefit, try and use that as our lens from which we take biblical principles. And so God, we understand, is sacrificial by nature, that he's a giver by nature. He's created with his words, that he created the, the world that we live in, the universe that we're a part of, that he gave us everything that we needed to bless us, to have relationship with us. That our approach to money or his approach to money or the agrarian system that provided us with the wealth that we have and speaking to the Israelites at the time is in order for us to be blessed so that we can then hold lightly in the hand, return to God what is his and make a genuine impact in the world that the goal for God to bless us is not for our prosperity so that we can hoard and live an excessive lifestyle, but so that we can be a genuine blessing to others and make an impact in the communities that we live in. Uh, my story is that I'm from a single parent home. Uh, my story is that I didn't have a lot of money growing up. My family wasn't rich growing up. We didn't come from a family that had a strong financial education. We, we, the family wasn't big on savings and investment. Our family was big on survival. And then I found Jesus. And then I don't know about you, but when you first read the Bible, I came across this, this, this concept. He's more than a concept. It's Jesus. He's a person. He's our Lord and Savior. But you come across this concept of Jesus and the church and this Bible, and you start to read it. And you realize that he talked about money quite a bit. So it's like, okay, well, what are you trying to say to us? And, and I think that when I look at God's plan for my finances, I realize that God is trying to use money um, for us as a tool or even um, an, an allegory, so to speak, to, to speak to us through this metaphor of saying there's something in the world that is so intrinsic to your identity in the system that we live in. So I'm going to use that to try and um, illustrate worship to you and devotion to you. So money is amoral, they say, it, it, that it's, it, it's a tool in the hands of, of whoever has it. Understanding that concept, God's trying to teach us this principle of tithing, these these principles of generosity so that we can use this tool for his purposes. One principle that jumped out to me when I was a, a young person, when I first started coming to church, was this principle of tithing, this concept of returning to God what is his, this concept of giving back, this concept of returning to God. Now, the book of Luke chapter 17, it'll come up on your screen, um, says this, says, now, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he stood there, uh, going on to the village, 10 men had leprosy. They met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves 
to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. In verse 15, this is just a, this is for me one of my quirky little tithing. Um, it's probably a stretch to take it out of context, but for me, it's one of my quirky little tithing personal stories in the Bible. It says this, verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. There's so much, this is verses rich with Jesus giving dignity to the people that he met, but we don't have time for that today. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? No one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. For me, one returned, one tenth, one portion, one part. Jesus healed everybody. He set them all free, but only one returned to give praise back to God. For me, that's one of my Levi Mary churchisms, a concept of tithing. Jesus has blessed my life. He's touched me. He's changed me. I'm different as a result. And my money's like leprosy, like it falls out of my wallet, like it's broken, like it doesn't really help. You know what I'm saying? I don't have enough of it, just like you. But I want to, I want to send one, one part back to the Lord as a, as a sign of praise and worship and thankfulness. Say, thank you, Lord. I wouldn't be here without you. I wouldn't have what I have without you. I'm blessed. I'm, a, I'm abundantly blessed in this life. Thank you. And that for me is the whole embodiment and the concept of tithing. One way in which we can show worship to him is through the tithe, bring a leper back to give God praise. The tithe for me, when I was a young person, when I started tithing as a teenager, has been a game changer. I've tithed faithfully for over 20 years. I look forward to it. It's worship, it's thanksgiving. It's a reminder to me that what I have is not mine, and it's a reminder to me about what I have and where it comes from. And so I bring back and I give back to the Lord. Now, I think early on in this message, it's important for us to have a definition of tithing. Um, recently, I preached a message called Build Local with the local church. We preached the sermon and we had a definition of the church, which, which for me and my layman's definition is a spiritual family that I belong to. And uh, today we're going to talk about tithing. And, and in the same notion, let's give a definition to what this word actually means. The Hebrew word means tenth. And it's synonymous with this concept of first fruits, of bringing back to God the first. The Old Testament Jew would bring a tenth of their income to the temple or the storehouse, the tabernacle, in recognition of God's provision in their life. T.D. Jakes says this, It is a tenth of your gross income that is considered an opportunity for you to worship God by obedience to His word, by setting it aside as holy unto Him. The tithe is for the church. Someone once said, God's money, God's house. Leviticus 27.30 says, The tenth of the produce of the land, where the grain or fruit is the Lord's, and it is holy. This is an Old Testament exhortation to God's people, and it was to bring the first fruit, the first tenth to God, before you did anything else. We'll come to this in a minute in, in, in the later part of the message, but it was common for the, the Israelite to give closer to 20, maybe 23% of their income to the temple or tabernacle for the purposes of honoring God and bringing back and serving Him and seeing the Levites fed and ministered to the Lord and to the people, the tabernacle built. But uh, the, the, the American Christian today, uh, and it's so many of our stats come from the States and um, they're so really available, the American Christian today gives closer to 2% of their income. When, when we read these passages, we're talking about um, upwards of 20% of the income, the family income was given back to the church, to the tabernacle, to the temple. Leviticus 27.30 says a tenth of the produce um, uh, of the land with a grain or fruit 
is the Lord's and it is holy. The Bible calls the tithe holy. It's holy unto the Lord. We think it just means clean to be holy. But to be holy means to be consecrated or set apart. Um, the best example that I can give you today is that I'm, I'm set apart to Nadia. We're in a covenant marriage, a relationship that goes beyond um, you know, us just agreeing to terms and saying, hey, we should get together. We, we made vows and every day I'm exclusively hers, I'm not anybody else's and I exhibit that through my daily decisions to honor the vows that I made on the 21st of January 2006. The same with the tithe, with my finances, my bi-weekly decision to bring my tithe to the church is my way of honoring the consecration of my money and honoring what is holy unto the Lord's by giving back to him what is his. Now, thankfully today, I don't need a wheelbarrow to cart my uh, harvest to you know, Bank and Alma at Southminster United Church. I can just e-transfer it. That's a lot easier. This is what inspired me to tithe though, was the concept of worship. This, this privilege, this set-apartness unto God. Um, in biblical numerology, the number 10 is a test. In biblical numerology, that's what the number 10 means. In other words, tithing is a test. So we see right through the Bible, here are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I should have given you 10, because 10, 10, 10 examples of tests. A test of tests. Um, here, let me read you some 10s in the Bible. There are 10 plagues um, that were poured out on Egypt because of Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. There were 10 commandments given to God's people. There are 10 tests in the wilderness. 10 times Jacob's wages were changed. Daniel's um, test lasted 10 days. 10 virgins, 10 lepers, we've already read about this. 10 days of testing and revelation. Malachi says, test me in this, says the Lord. And, and the, there's, there's testing in the Bible represented by the number 10. And our tithe to us is a test. But here's what's interesting, because it's about money, and money is always difficult to deal with. But here's, here's the interesting thing. He says, test me. So the burden of proof is on God, not on us. I think it's a test for us because money is hard to deal with. It's a heart issue. It's worship. It's like, oh, I'm a, I can, I'm, you know, I've only got so much money. It's finite. And, and I understand that. Um, trust me. But the burden of the test is actually on God, d despite the fact that it's also a test for us, that the proof required is from him. He's not testing us. We are testing him at his request. Um, you know, the last time I've been like tested at someone's request is like when I play Jaden, either in one-on-one -on -one basketball or when we have a, three, a free throw shooting competition. He's like, come on, at my request, I want you to try and beat me. He's better than I am. So I'm like, okay, let's go. And I'll often fail, but every now and then I might beat him in a free throw or three-point shooting competition once in a blue moon, um, and I'm fizzing. But the request was on Jaden for the competition because he knows that he's, you know, um, you know it's, it takes a high degree of humility to admit that. Um, but think about that for a second with God. Um, there are a lot of smart people in our church, so, so many, and, and infinitely smarter than, than myself. PhDs, masters, undergrads. Um, all of us, we write an exam in preparation um, to get a degree, um, an undergrad, that someone else writes for us. So we take the test that someone else writes for us. God is actually in this scenario saying that we are preparing an exam for him to sit. So normally someone else sits an exam that you write, that you sit, you sit there and go, oh man, I've got to answer these questions. God is saying, test him. So the burden's on him to pass the test, not on us. So we write the test through our budgeting, through our tithing, through our financial decision-making. And we say, hey, look, you told me good things will happen. So the test is on you. And I just wonder, like, you know, if, if you might even consider tithing through that lens and say, you know what, if I don't tithe, why don't you give it a go? 12 months, give it a crack. There might be a huge stretch, but honestly, I believe God is going to touch your life. I believe that he's going to bless you 
because that's what he says he will do. So this is not a promise from Levi, because I, if, like, I can't bless you for your tithe. That's, not, that's outside of my power. But God is saying, you know what? The burden of proof is on me. You do it, let's see what happens. And God blesses the obedience, I think. You know, it's not that he's saying in the start, you read in the scriptures in the Old Testament, he's like, oh, in Matthew 23, he's like, you tithe Pharisees, even of the little bit of your herb garden. He said, they grow a herb basil tree, you know, and like, or oregano, they're like, rosemary, let's plug some off, bring that to the thing, like, oh, no. And it's that sense of like that overburdened, like, I've got to earn this, I've got to carry the thing in abacus. No, no, no. I think it's just an expression of obedience, an expression of love. I don't get the feeling, like, and I'm not God, you know, like, that's clear. If that wasn't clear to you already, it should be clear now. I'm not God, but I don't, I don't think that God's up there going, mm-hmm, you were short, you know, 43 cents, no blessing for you. I think that concept of obedience and the expression of love is far more important to God, despite the fact we should try as best we can to make sure we hit that mark of 10%. Um, here's the, for the next few minutes, here's a biblical history of tithing. Okay, so here's a biblical history of tithing. Genesis 14, verse 18. So let's go right back to the beginning. It says this, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is translated as the word peace, brought out bread and wine. Hello. So, so already we've got a king of Salem, Salem's peace. There's a prince of peace. His name is Jesus. So we've got this Melchizedek character who's the king of peace, um, brought out bread and wine, and bread and wine. Um, hello, communion. So there's, 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 these, there's these really cool pictures taking place here. And he was a priest of God most high. Um, sounds like Jesus. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed by Abram, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God, who delivered you from your enemies and into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram had just returned from defeating the armies of the four kings, rescuing his nephew Lot, reclaiming his possessions, and met by this, in, you know, what I would term as an enigmatic priest whose name was Melchizedek. For those Lord of the Rings fans out there, I can see cat and whistle like, yeah. Um, Melchizedek reminds me of Tom Bombadil. Just this mercurial character, hard to define, very mysterious. The priest attributes Abram's victory um, to God, the possessor of heaven and earth, and then he blesses Abraham. So he's like, you won because God was on your side and I'm gonna bless you. And so, you know, it's difficult for like Ryder to bless me because the concept of blessing is that um, the more powerful blesses the lesser. In gratitude to God's authority and blessing, Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of his possessions. He doesn't do it by, to invoke God's blessing because he believes he already has it. He does it in response to God's blessing. Abraham is our father in the faith. In fact, we call him Father Abraham and sing songs about it. Uh, he introduces this concept of tithing, this concept, the principle of first mention comes in here, which is really important for us. You know, you remember the first time you rode a bike or brushed your teeth. Um, your first date, first job, first house, the first, your, your kid's first word, each kid's first word, yes, first time they walked. These are significant moments. They're the beginning of what is to come. And the first time we see a phrase in the Bible, um, we believe that it's important because it establishes a precedent or it establishes a pattern or a biblical concept that can be seen through the rest of the Bible. And we look for it. When something's mentioned first, we look for the repetition or the recurring pattern of that thing. And we see that through tithing in the scriptures. For me, as I read this, I'm noticing that Abraham, Abraham gave a tenth to this Christ-like figure who was expressing Christ-like characteristics. He gave him a tenth. And that number will hang around in the Bible right through to the book of Hebrews. So we've got a long-standing tradition. Remember the Bible written, three languages, three continents, thousands of years, multiple authors, and this recurring concept of the tent strings right throughout. So now let's move on now from Abraham to his grandson, Jacob, and Jacob tithed. 
Um, we fast forward to Jacob. He wasn't necessarily at this point like a church guy. Um, we don't know if he followed his family church traditions, but he had a moment with God and it says this, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and the stone I've set up will be a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you, here it is again, a tenth. Genesis 14, 14 chapters later, Genesis 28, generational recurring pattern from that first mention. What a phrase that is. Of all of that, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This for me is where I get this understanding of tithe being from things that are from my increase. So as I'm increased, I tithe on the increase. So as I'm, as I'm paid a salary of that gross salary, the first thing that comes out, and obviously it's difficult because the first thing that comes out is taxes and um, you know, whatever, insurance, you know, all these other things come out first, then I get what's left. Rather than tithing on that, I'm like, no, I'm tithing on the whole thing because the whole thing came from God. The government just um, you know, got in there um, nice and quick. This is where the concept of the increase comes from. As I'm increased, so I tithe of all that you give me, of all that I'm increased by, I will give you a tenth. We don't know whether Jacob knew of Abram's tenth. We don't know whether Abram talked about it or if he did it more than one time. Similarly, we don't know with, about Jacob's practices, but we do know what we read. Out of an overflow of God's presence, he gave a tenth. Let's keep moving forward in the Bible. Tithing in the law. There was a 400 year gap between Abram and Moses. Then the Israelites had entered Egypt and by then now, there's an exodus from Egypt. And in the second year of the exodus, Moses informed the Israelites that they would be giving a tenth as of their seed crops, fruit trees, the tenth animal for the new tabernacle and, and uh, to the new tabernacle. And so these were God's commands and exhortations to his people. Remember this theocracy, God's people as an expression to the world of Yahweh, Father God. He's speaking in commandments that tithing would be central to his plan. And, and we'll talk about why in a minute. That tithing was an expectation, not a feeling, not like a off-the-cuff decision, but a, a routine rhythm. That offerings on top of tithing were regular practice. And as I say, many people at this time are giving 20, 23% of their overall income, uh, as opposed to many people nowadays in the Western world, and we, we quote in an American survey, that are around 2% of, um, of you know, gross income. So the tithe then in Leviticus is introduced as law. Leviticus 27, verse 30 to 34 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. Again, here's this phrase, it is holy to the Lord. When I have discussions with people who, who don't tithe or don't believe in tithing or think it's a misrepresentation of the Bible or a misinterpretation of the scriptures, I'm always happy to have those conversations with people. For me, I'm not, this is not something I'm trying to... Um, wrangle my way out of you know this is a real honor and it's a real privilege to be able to give to god what is his it's holy to the lord like i don't own it it's his and it came from him and then james writes and says every good gift comes from god and i believe that the salary that i'm paid for the work that i do is a gift from god and on top of that in my role it's donations from people you give and as a result we have the staff we have gas in the tank we're able to pay for all the things that we do as a church we're able to give um and we'll talk about this in a minute, 10% of what you give, we want to tie that back into the community, back into missions and give money away as a church as an expression of thankfulness to God, but to you for your giving. So as a result, I've got the added responsibility of like, as a Levite, and we'll come to this, 
I'm using the money that people give to God so that I don't then have to have multiple jobs to try and facilitate preaching and study and, and pastoring in the church because of the faithful donations of God's people from Genesis to the modern church, we can have a staff that can, that can facilitate ministry to God and ministry to people. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it, um, you know, making, making it 12%. And every tithe, uh, first time I've heard that, you know, of herds and flocks, every tenth animal um, of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not be different. One shall not differentiate, differentiate between good and bad. Speaking of the animals, you don't just give God the bad stuff. That was what Malachi was talking about. Neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, this is where you increase the tithe. We're not, this is not something that we practice today. Then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. In other words, what's saying here is that you've got to bring the tithe to the storehouse. But if you want to like take it back and keep the harvest and bring cash, you have to bring um, an additional what what ends up being 12%, which I think is just like, that's brilliant. Uh, you know, I never saw that in the scriptures. Then I'm like, wait, hang on a minute. Uh, here we see Moses giving the tithe as a law. So we've now moved Genesis, Exodus, and we're now into Leviticus. Now we're into, you know, we move on to Deuteronomy um, and, and sort of numbers and all of these, you know, these books of the law. Moses is giving the tithe as a law. The first 10% is called holy or set apart as belonging to God. The Israelites were to return to God what was already his. Uh, this is where some language is interesting because people say like, we've got to give our tithes to the Lord. Come on, let's give, come on, let's give our tithes today. The word give there is not entirely accurate. We actually bring our tithe because to give something, the concept of giving is like, I am giving you a cup of coffee that was mine. I made a coffee for me, I'm giving it to you. Um, God gave to us what we have, we bring back to him what is his. So I don't give a tithe to God. I bring it to God because it's already his. It's holy and set apart. In doing so, the Israelites were recognizing his provision in their lives. When it came to livestock, the shepherd had to set aside every tenth for God, deciding simply by counting animals, by consecrating every tenth. The shepherd was not to decide based on the quality of the animal, but just every tenth animal or the first of every tenth. So we now move on now to tithing being established for the Levites. Okay, so this is Numbers in Numbers 18, 21. It says, to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel. Okay, so the Levites, again, were a priestly tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, were set apart as holy to the Lord to minister to him and to the people. So they were skilled in like, um, skilled in ministry, skilled in setting up the, um, you know, like the, the tent of meeting and all of its furniture and poles. They were like, their, their job was, the priestly duties is not true. To the Levites, I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. Okay, this is interesting language. In return for their service that they do. They serve people, they serve God, they get a tithe as their inheritance. Their service, and it says here, in the tent of meeting, which would become the tabernacle, which would become the temple, which, which now I, I believe is the local church. The Levites served a special function in Israel. They ministered before God as, as Israelite priests, at God's command, the Levites didn't share in other tribes' inheritance, which was the land of Canaan. They were to receive God as their reward and inheritance and the tithe so that they could do their job. Verse 21, the Lord was their portion and inheritance. Here we see the Lord establishing that Israel's tithe would operate as a payment, so to speak. Now, the language there is not perfect, but bear with me, to the Levitical priests for their services. 
So I remember when I was doing study, because my name is Levi, just in case you missed that. And Levi is a Jewish priestly name. And my last name is Mary Church. So I've got Jews, you know, Roman Catholics, Pentecostals, you know, Western Evangelicals, all really in one name. So just designed to be your pastor. Um, but they were never counted in the census. They were excluded. They were never allocated land. They are a tithe and are then given the tithe for the Lord. They were set apart as holy to God and were given what was set apart as holy so that they could do their job. Essentially, the people were instructed to provide the tithe to the priests so that they didn't have to work and have a, a sense of a bivocational lifestyle. They were never in need. They were fresh so that they could perform their priestly duties. Numbers 18.26 says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So that's where as a church, local church, we get our concept of giving away 10% of all the donations that we receive to Mama Amara, helping people in uh, trauma counseling, to making sure that we can help the local Ottawa Women's Cornerstone, Women's Shelter, to giving away to church planting or local church ministries or helping people in need, helping those that need help, giving to the indigenous of our country, the indigenous communities, we try and tithe the tithe. So all that you give, our goal is to give 20% every year, 20% to community um, help, help to helping people tangibly, and then 10% to like global missions, church planning and things like that. That's our goal, difficult goal, can be, I'll be honest with you, but we really wanna honor these biblical principles and don't wanna lean on people to honor them, but when, when the church can't do it itself. Um, this is where we get that concept from. Free will offerings and the purpose of the tithe and free will offerings, again, that's a gift to God. That was on top of, on top of the tithe. At a minimum, Jewish people, as I mentioned, gave 23%. Uh, Exodus 36, 2-7 speaks of Moses shutting down the offering because there was too much. They were a celebratory people. They gave free will offerings all the time. The first tithe every year was taken to support the Levites. But every third year, a special tithe was taken for the distinct purpose, and this rings true in our good works offerings, for the, the purpose of supporting orphans and widows and strangers. And there was special provision in God's law to take care of the most vulnerable citizens, including people from outside of the community. And we, we hold these to be true in our church. We move on now to the book of Nehemiah chapter 10. And Nehemiah is more famous for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but he also reinstated tithing and worship rhythms for God's people. Nehemiah 10, 35 to 37, we'll, we'll jump, I think, to verse 37 for time's sake, says, And to bring the Levites, the tithes from the ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor. Nehemiah just reinforcing what God had spoken to Moses about. At this point, many Israelites had lived their entire life in captivity, and he was reestablishing worship rhythms for free people who were in slavery. Throughout the Old Testament, an offering was something you gave, but the tithe was something that you owed. It was an expectation and not a choice that belonged to the Lord and it was repaid. Now we transition into the New Testament. So we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of, if it wasn't clear to you already, there's a lot of tithing in the Old Testament, a lot of exhortation around tithing, a lot of commandments, tithe, you must tithe, bring the tithe, 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 tithe. And now we, bring, we come to the New Testament. We're looking for patterns. We're looking for recurring principles. We're looking for a New Testament endorsement. I, I, do, I do that with any issue that I find in the Old Bible, I'm look, in the Old Bible, in the Old Testament, I'm looking for repetition. I'm looking for endorsement. So for instance, 
I'm looking for repetition and endorsement for the, the Old Testament biblical principle from Genesis 1 of marriage. Maybe Genesis 2. That'll come up on your screen. I'm looking for repetition and, and endorsement of the biblical principle, principle of Sabbath, family, health, hygiene, healthy relationships, God's faithfulness, His kindness, God's forgiveness, His mercy, giving to the poor, serving God. That, that, that Microsoft Word or Google Docs bold italicized underline, I'm looking for repetition. What did Jesus say on the issue? What did the Apostle Paul say on the issue? What did Luke or James or John write on the issue? Uh, what did Peter say, if anything? What, what's, what can I find? Where can I find it bolded, italicized and underlined? And when it comes to God's concern around us and money, it's centered around worship and obedience and sacrifice. Not give to get, but bring to God what's his and give to give because that's God's kingdom. Then we find Jesus rounding up the issue nicely. And we could end the sermon right here. In verse 23 of Matthew 23, he simply says three words that I think for me have just been immensely powerful on this topic. He says, you should tithe. Crickets. Jesus, red letter, is giving us a clear instruction and says simply, you should tithe. Let's look at the wider context. Well, that does wrap it up quite nicely, but let's look at the wider context. He says this. He says, you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. It's important here to note that I feel like Jesus is saying there are more important things than tithing. Justice, mercy, faith. But there's the sense that Jesus is saying, like, of course you should tithe. Like, it goes without saying that you should tithe. In fact, for me, this phrase, I, there's a phrase that I use when it comes to some things in the Bible, and I use it here, is the assumption of the tithe, or the assumption of God's mercy, or the assumption of the way things are done at that time. Jesus sets himself at odds with the religious establishment right through his life and ministry, and there's tension around the tendency to follow the law and ignore the spirit. So he's like, hey guys, don't ignore the more important things of the tithe, keep tithing, you should tithe here, you, but you already do that. What you don't do is honor mercy and faith and justice. They were being ignored. And this idea of faithfulness revolved, revolved around an extreme focus on the minutia of the law. He's like, forget that. The spirit of the law is to love people and give dignity to others. That's what you should focus on. You should tithe, sure. And so I read that like this is the assumption of the tithe. So when Jesus specifically talks about the tithe, he focuses on being rigid and following the tithe while ignoring the weightier matters of what it means to follow God. When he brings the topic up, his instruction, very clearly, it's very important we notice this, his instruction is not to tithe, or his instruction is not that we should stop tithing. He doesn't say, hey, speaking of tithing, stop that, focus on this. He's like, keep doing that, this is more important. Very important. He doesn't neglect it. Throughout his teaching on giving, he doesn't seem to undermine the principle of tithing, but encourages people to practice their giving in meaningful ways. And the book of Hebrews, and we'll begin to wrap the message up today. Thank God. Is that the book of Hebrews chapter 7, 1 and 2 says this, For this Melchizedek, remember this Tom Bombadil, he's a Lord of the Rings character, um, Tolkien gave us this enigmatic, mercurial kind of character, and this is like a Melchizedek. King of Salem, priest of Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, the King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, King of Peace. 
So he's king of righteousness and peace. Sounds like Jesus. Here mortal men receive tithe. Sorry, verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes. Speaking of the Levites. There he, Melchizedek, speaking of Christ, receives tithes. Oh, he receives them. Of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes. Not me, but the priest Levi with the priestly tribe of Levites. Who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 tribes, tribe of Levi. So what it's saying is like, he was still in the loins of Abraham, the tribe, the tribe of Levi, when he gave to Melchizedek. So in a sense, what I read in the book of Hebrews here, the writer of Hebrews, which we, which we might assume is the apostle Paul, is saying that he's still, while in the loins of his father, the apple of his eye, so to speak, tithed to Melchizedek. In other words, the Levites tithed to Christ, this Christ-like figure. In, in, in the one case, the tenth is collected by the people, the Levites, who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. So, there's, so who's declared to be living? Jesus is declared to be living. Melchizedek, the Bible says, has no beginning and no end declared to be living he doesn't he hasn't died jesus so there's this jesus character or jesus himself that abraham tithed to and so now it's saying we tithe to mortal men but in the one case the tenth is collected by people levites i point to me just because that's my name but in the other case by him who's declared to be living in other words when i give i not only believe that i'm giving to god and that my my giving my donations my tithe as i bring it and my offerings can be used by the Levites for the ministry of God's people. I also believe here that in the book of Hebrews it's saying that my tithe is collected by him who's declared to be living. In other words, Jesus has a crucial role in collecting the tithes of his people. Like as I as I bring my tithe, I let it go. Like we're not like I've only been a lead pastor for three years when I've really like, you know, like in terms of like what we do with the tithe has been my concern. But prior to that, I'm just like, yeah, man, like I'm giving to Jesus, man. Like I'm giving it and I'm letting it go and I'm not asking a truckload of questions. Uh, although I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask questions, but just my nature is like, yeah, man, like just whatever. If I see mismanagement, I'm on it. But if we're honoring, if, if there's fruit in the ministry and God's doing great things, then I'm pumped. But at the end of the day, I know that I've given to God. The accountability for the money in the church is for the pastors, for the board, for the oversight, for them to know that they're doing everything above board and above reproach. Me as a Christian giver, I'm just giving because I know that that's, that's God's exhortation to my life. With this discussion on Abraham's tithe, um, on, on Melchizedek, we really come full circle. Started in Genesis and now we finish in Hebrews. Moses first tells us that this tithe uh, in, in Genesis, that the author of Hebrews then readdresses it as he compares Christ's ministry to the priest Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews argues that although the tithe was supposed to be paid to the Levites, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils to the priest Melchizedek, and that through this act, the Levites also metaphorically tithed to Melchizedek. Not only did the priest take the tithe from Abraham, but he blessed him. Hebrews authors say, it is beyond dispute that the inferior Abram is blessed by the superior Melchizedek. This whole chapter compares the priesthood of Christ to this mysterious old New Old Testament character. It's only appropriate that the last place the tithe is mentioned is right here, and it's being used to, uh, to really highlight Christ's preeminence. That Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, i.e. Christ. That we tithe to Christ, the highest of all high priests. 
Here we see this biblical principle of timing. Before the law, it was practiced during the law, and it is practiced after the law. It's reinforced by Jesus, and then again by the author of the book of Hebrews. Our key text today was Matthew 23, and where Jesus uh, endorses tithing. But he said this, and remember the context is really important. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The goal of the passage here, I think, for Jesus, whilst the assumption of the tithe exists, was to preach and teach the more important aspects of the law that they had forgotten. For us today, money is not the most important aspect. On top of that, Jesus then lays out three characteristics of the law that trumpet. Justice, mercy, and faith. Let's touch on one very quickly, mercy. One of the best illustrations I can give you about the, the brilliance, the wonder, and the beauty of God's mercy, that, that it's his primary gift for us, the sense of unmerited favor, this grace, this gift of a second chance in life, is um, exploding kittens. Not actual kittens that explode, that's horrible. But this game that I played the other night called Exploding Kittens. This is, I don't really know what happens, and I'm not very good at the game, I just learned from a couple in the church taught me how to play. But essentially what happens is, in the deck, if there's five people playing, there are four Exploding Kitten cards in the deck. And so there's basically last man standing is how you win the game. So if you get an Exploding Kitten, you lose. And then you keep that card and you lose, and then there are now three in the deck, and there are four people playing, last man standing wins. But in the game, if you draw one, you die, unless you have a defuse card. It's like a Monopoly deal, you have a just say no. Like someone's like, pay this rent, do this, boom, double thing, whack, with a, with a house and a hotel and two and a half thousand dollars, and then boom, just say no. And then someone just say no, so you'll just say no. Like the, these moments are just beautiful. But the defuse kitten card, for me in exploding kittens, is mercy. That's what God does to us. We, through our own decisions, or the life that we face, or the cards that are dealt to us, so to speak, we have um, challenges in our life, and we make bad decisions and reap the, the negative repercussions of those decisions. But we have a diffuse card, and the diffuse card is God's mercy. It's the monopoly get out of jail free card. It's that his mercy and his righteousness and his faithfulness to us is everlasting, it is abounding. It's the fact that I know that I can make a terrible decision, but when I come back to God, I still have to live with the consequences of that decision, but I can repent and know that my relationship with God is renewed because he loves me so much because of his mercy. You should tithe, yeah. Don't forget his mercy. Don't forget the more important parts of relationship with God. His plan for your finances, I believe super important because it's gonna bless people and that's God's plan for your life. But don't forget his plan for your life more importantly is his mercy and his forgiveness and that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could have relationship with God, so that I could. And so today if you're here and you're saying, I don't have a relationship with God, I'm not right with God, I, I'm not, I don't know Jesus. Well, I'm glad we touched on his mercy and his justice and his goodness and his faith and not just the tithe. Because more important than the tithe is his mercy for your life. Here's a diffuse card. There's an exploding kitten around the corner, but here's a diffuse card, just say no. Get out of jail free for us today. That's his mercy. And so if you're here today on our online campus, we love you so much. Um, viewing in from Toronto, from Kingston, uh, from New Zealand, from all over the world, wherever you're watching, 
we're so so glad that you're here but i would love to give you a chance to make a decision to follow after christ to follow god to have him in your life so we'll pray a simple prayer and if that's you pray this prayer with me it goes like this dear lord jesus i come to you i need you in my life i ask you forgive me of my sin and i thank you that you do i thank you jesus i thank you jesus amen amen if you prayed that prayer there's a button you can click that said i raised my hand and made a decision for christ one of our prayer partners will reach out talk you through it do whatever we can to plug you into either our local physical campus where you are or some leaders as part of our online community or if you're from toronto kingston wherever you might be from there are people nearby that we can connect you with to help you on this journey as you walk with christ and uh man thanks for hanging out with me today a little bit of a longer sermon i hope you don't mind a little bit more teachy hope you don't mind we are so glad you joined us for the local church podcast to get connected please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved